The Gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 in the Common English Bible. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? And Jesus said, not just seven times, but rather as many as 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, they brought him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay it, the master ordered that he should be sold, along with his wife and children and everything he had, and that the proceeds should be used as payment. But the servant fell down, kneeled before him, and said, Please be patient with me. I'll pay you back. The master had compassion on that servant, released him, and forgave the loan. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred coins. He grabbed him around the throat and said, Pay me back what you owe me. Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he threw him into prison until he paid back his debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were deeply offended. They came and told their master all that had happened. His master called the first servant and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? His master was furious and handed him over to the guard responsible for punishing prisoners until he paid back the whole debt. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. So, do you know that there are 565 billionaires, billionaires living in the United States today? That's a lot. It's a lot more probably than ever have lived here uh, before and, and because of the way things have been going here in the, in the United States. And do you know that some of the things those billionaires spend their money on? There's some pretty extravagant things that, the, that people with a lot uh, spend their money on. For example, there's a $50,000 diamond-studded pacifier that you can buy for your baby. Parents, you got, I see you want one of those, right? $50,000 diamond-studded pacifier. There's also a $175,000 gold and diamond domino set. The dominoes are made of gold and the diamonds are in, set in them to be the number. So those are some of the luxurious items that billionaires buy. But the one that kind of caught my attention, I thought was odd, was this $18,000 vacuum cleaner. Like, why does a billionaire need an 18000 I mean... I would assume that billionaire doesn't do the vacuuming. That's just my assumption, right? But if you wanted an $18,000 vacuum cleaner that's, cl that's studded with 3,000 swarovski, swar you know what I'm saying, that Russian crystals, there we go, 3,000 swarovski crystals, 
it's an, it's, it, that's what makes it so expensive. But I'm like, I guess if you really want to do this for your housekeeper, if he or she vacuums, that you want them to have a nice vacuum, you should get this. But I thought about just the, what makes that so luxurious is the impracticality of it. You know, there's so much impracticality of it. It seems so extravagant, right? And yet, in this parable today, we see the extravagance of God's grace. We see the extravagance of forgiveness. It's this extravagant and unlimited forgiveness. And we're, to a- and we're asked, and Jesus encouraged us to be like billionaires when it comes to forgiveness. That a way a billionaire spends their money on extravagant things, you and I are to be that forgiving. We're to be extravagant in the way that we forgive others. It's unlimited and extravagant forgiveness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Because Peter, Peter and Jesus have been, he's just been hearing from Jesus about uh, what, what do you do when someone sins against you? And they go through this process in Matthew 18. And then, and then Peter says, you know, how many times do I need to forgive my brother or sister? And, and when he says seven times, he's actually being more luxurious. And he's actually going beyond what the rabbinical teaching of the day was. The, the rabbis taught that three times, you forgive a person three times, you work three times. And if if, the, if it doesn't work out after three times, you, you know, three strikes and you're out. That's the rabbinical teaching. So Peter is actually thinking he's, he's a good student. You know, he's thinking, you know, I've been hanging around Jesus long enough. I kind of get a sense of where Jesus is going with this. I'm going to say seven times, which also is a significant number. Uh, for those of you who've been to, to Sunday school, what ha- what's significant about the number seven in the Bible? Anybody know? Completion, Right. We've been talking about not perfect but, and being complete or mature. And so seven becomes a number that signifies completion. And so, so he's thinking, do I, if I completely forgive someone, that's seven times. I've, I've completely forgiven that person. And Jesus takes it even further and says, I tell you, not just seven times, 77 times. And other passages it says seven times 70. So it doesn't matter what the math says. What Jesus is saying is it's unlimited. <laughs> You don't stop forgiving. There's, there's no, you, and to be mature in, in our Christian walk, to be mature Christians means that we continue to seek to forgive again and again and again. And so I thought we'd take a look at that this morning, this parable, because it's important that Jesus then follows up with this parable of the unmerciful servant to kind of, why is Jesus saying that we're supposed to forgive this way? What, he kind of uses this parable to put it in perspective to, for us, and he tells this story of these, this servant who's owed his king 10,000 bags of gold. Now, what this is is just an extravagant amount of money. This, this, this servant has gone into an extravagant amount of debt. I mean, more debt than we can imagine. So the, the point of 10,000 bags of gold is it's unpayable. There is no way this servant is ever going to be able to pay in their lifetime the king back this loan, this debt that, that the servant has. It's, just un, it's an unpayable debt. It's important for us to understand that because then what he does is he then, what does he do when he realizes, when he's called to account for this debt, he does three things. One, he falls down and he, and he, he gets on his knees before the king. He is humble. And then what, it's interesting because he, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, does he? He asks for patience. And he says, and then the third thing he does is I'll pay it back. Give me some more time for me to pay it back. Now, can you understand how, how kind of this doesn't make any sense to the king, at least, and to us now looking at the story? Because 
How is he going to ever pay back an unpayable debt? But somehow he thinks that he still can, right? Sometimes don't you feel, think that way, right? You know, even though you, you realize that you and I are forgiven, we still try and do things because we think we've got to earn it back. We've got to earn God's grace. We've got to earn God's favor. So we're still trying to pay it back. And so then the master, notice the king, and the, responds with compassion, has compassion for this, this repentant soul, for this person who's willing to pay it back. There's a willingness. There's a, there's a humility here. And so the, the king says, has compassion and says, guess what? Let's just, let's, there's no way you're going to pay this back, so let's just cancel it. Let's just forgive it. Every, all 10,000 bags of gold that you owe, forget about it. It's covered. Now, if I were that servant, I I, kind of put myself in that story. I don't know if you put yourself, I'd be like, yes. You know, it's like winning the lottery, right? I mean, this this servant should be happy. This servant should be joyous. This servant should be appreciative and showing gratitude and thankful and all these wonderful things, and it should be a celebration. So I want to pause here. I think we need to pause. And I want you to remember something in your own life. Hopefully you can remember this. If you can't remember this or think of a time when this happened for you, then let's have a discussion after the sermon. But I want you to think about the time that you repented. A time when you came to God with all your baggage, with all your flaws, with all your sins, and you, you asked God to, be, to forgive you. Maybe it was the moment that you came to know Jesus. Maybe it was the moment that you came to faith and you had a conversion experience. Your heart was changed. Your heart was strained. So I want you to remember that moment for just now, right now in this story. And ask you this question. When you repented of your sin, when you brought your whole self to God, how many sins were forgiven? How many of your sins were forgiven in that moment? 50%, 75%, just the bad ones or just the really easy ones to forgive? How many? 100%. All of them. Was that an unpayable debt for you? Was there anything that you could have done to pay back that debt to God? It was unpayable. And in that moment, God said, paid in full, (laughs) canceled, forgiven. So we are in the same position as this servant. Now, I would love it. Wouldn't you love it if the story stopped here? Happy ending. Everybody's good. Wonderful teaching, Jesus. I love it. Let's just stick with this part of the story. Why do we need to keep going? But Jesus doesn't stop the story. Then he goes on and he talks about this same servant who who had just been paid off all the debt, all the sin had been forgiven, all the debt had been canceled. And he goes over to another servant who's just got one debt against him, not 10,000. And it's like, have you ever borrowed $20 from somebody and they don't pay you back or they forget to pay you back or they tell you they'll pay you, right? You you got a friend like that who owes you about 20 bucks? That's what this servant, it's an insignificant amount of money. 
But what it does is he goes and he actually uses violence and he grabs a hold of this other servant and demands payment back. Demands that he pay back what he is owed. Maybe because he still thinks he's got to earn it. He's got to pay it back. We don't know. But he demands $20, an insignificant amount. And what does that servant do? He does the same thing. He falls down on his knees. He asks for patience. And he says, I'll pay it back. Actually, something he could have actually paid back. The first servant never could have paid back the debt. The second servant could have paid back the debt. And so then this gets reported back to the king. The king says to the, ser- the, the first servant, the unmerciful servant says to the unmerciful servant, that's it, all your debt is now back on record. And he was sent to prison, just like the second the, the, he did to his friend. So I think about this. I think about how you and I can fall into this trap of thinking, you know, and it, we actually talk about it. It's a, become popular today to talk about karma. Have you heard that word, karma, right? And the Buddhist, teach, the Buddhist teaching around karma is this idea of karmic debt, and that you, when you do things in your life and you spend your life, if you, build, you build up karmic debt, and that if you then live your life in such a way that you do good or do enough good, then you start to cancel out some of that karmic debt, and somehow the, the scales will be balanced. But if they're not balanced, you'll be reincarnated into another life, and you get another chance to outweigh those scales of karmic debt. What I want to say to you is what Jesus is saying to us, too, here, is that there, there is no way to pay back that debt. The, the teachings of Jesus is that there is no way in your lifetime that you will ever, you and I will ever be able to balance that scale. We will never, it's an unpayable debt. It's not something we can fix by doing good or earning it back. We are totally reliant upon the forgiveness of our King, our Creator, our God, who does want to forgive us, who does cancel our debt. And so, but sometimes I think we get tied up in this idea that we somehow have to pay it back. And that's not what Jesus, Jesus says, that's not possible. But I also want you to notice that there's a warning here. And thank God we have the rest of the Bible on this. But if we were to just take this parable at face value, here's what Jesus says. He says, look, he's in, the, in verse 35, it says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Think about that. That if we are not a forgiving people, that what the parable is teaching us is that, and Jesus is very stern about this and saying, look, if you don't forgive the people around you for the one sin or the two sins or the three sins they do against you, your sin's all back on record. <laughs> it, it, it goes back on the, 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 the debts back in full again. All that God forgave you for. That's a kind of a, that's a hard thing to take in, to be honest, to wrestle with. And so we have these things that we can hold on to. So we get it, right? Great teaching, Jesus. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. How do we do this? How do we forgive people from our heart? 
And the first stage, and I put these in a stage, I thought about it, step one, step two, but it's not a step, it's a stage. It's a process. It's not something you just do step one and then you move on to step two. Sometimes you, like grief, you go back and forth between stages. I think forgiveness is a process for us. So stage one is the first point, the first thing is to let the person know you've been hurt. <laughs> why, why, where do I get this from? This isn't Matt speaking. It's actually Jesus in chapter 18, the first five verses in verse 15, Jesus says, he outlines a process for, for going to, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. <laughs> Big step that we miss, often miss here is this step. You know, so notice he says, if somebody's, if somebody's hurt you or somebody's harmed you, you're supposed to go to them privately and have a conversation about it. It doesn't say, go talk to your friends about it. It doesn't say, go complain <laughs> over here to these three people and get them on your side and win their support. Here's the thing Jesus is saying is that how does that person even know that they've sinned against you? Think about some of the things, some of the things you're carrying around today, maybe some past hurts. Ask, ask yourself this question, does the person know they did it? I would bet that there are some things on your list, and my list, I know because I know there are things on my list, my record of wrongs, that I never made the other person aware of. I've just held on to it. So are there things? So part of what Jesus is saying, the very first step is to, to talk about it. You know, and the longer that I live, thanks be to God, the, more that li the longer that list gets. Have you noticed that? Let me, let me talk about that list a little bit. Here's some of the things I do with my record of wrongs. I complain to others about it. Sometimes I stuff it. And I sweep it under my emotional carpet and act like everything's okay. Anybody do that? Right? I, I do this sometimes because I think it's too petty to address. It's too selfish. Sometimes it seems like I'm just weak if I bring it up. or a sign of weakness or pettiness on my part, so I just stuff it. Sometimes it's my own pride. And I just want to hold on to it. <laughs> I like having a record sometimes against somebody else, so I can bring it up later. Use it as an emotional weapon to let them get back at them when they do something again. So I, I'll hold on to it and pridefully nurture it and take care of it until I get that opportunity. Sometimes I also say to myself, well, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the, you know, blessed are the, the, peace, the peacemakers, right? Jesus said. So I think, oh, I'm just going to keep peace. You know, and so in an effort to keep peace in the relationship, I say nothing right? Anybody a peacekeeper here, a peacemaker? <laughs> so we do that. Or sometimes I think to myself, time heals all wounds. Have you noticed that it doesn't? Have you noticed that that record's still there? <laughs> You're still holding on to it because time has not taken it away? Then there are people who hurt me that I have no contact with. I can't ever go back to them. I can't confront them. So what do I do about that? And so I just sweep it away again. I just don't do anything about it. I don't confront it. So I keep this list of things that people have done against me, and I never do anything with it but hold on to it. Do you have a list? 
Are you carrying something with you this morning? And see, part of the, the stage here is I have got to decide what I do with it. Now, I can, then there's a whole lot of things I got to think about. Do I confront the person? Do I talk to the person? Is it safe to talk to the person? Or is there something else? Maybe I, it's time for me to let it go. Maybe it's time for me to erase it, cancel it off the list. But it's a decision I have to make. There's a decision that you and I have to make as to how we're going to handle that wrong. But I do know that the first step in forgiveness is to admit that it's on the list. <laughs> admit that it happened at least to yourself, to myself, that, yeah, this hurt. We've actually got to unearth it and stop sweeping it under the carpet, so to speak. And we have to address it in some form. I would also say to you that if, if you do decide to talk to somebody about that, this takes courage. This is a courageous thing to do. And it takes a lot of emotional energy as well. It's not easy. And this step also does not require the other person respond well. <laughs> they may not. I've actually taken this step. I've actually practiced this step. And I can tell you, it does not always go the way I thought. I thought, you know, I'll just go tell them. They'll apologize. We'll all be happy together. We'll move on in life. Sometimes that doesn't happen. They can't receive it. They can't hear it. But it helps me. But you know, those times when I've done it, I, they're not on my list anymore. <laughs> even if they didn't respond well, even if they didn't apologize, because I told them, because I talked to them about it, it's actually not on the list anymore. <laughs> because I was able to forgive it. It became easier for me to forgive and move on because I actually talked to them about it. So that's stage one. Pray about it too, by the way. <laughs> Not easy. Stage two, seek to forgive, regardless of how they respond to you. Hopefully they'll respond, and, and, and it can be a, repair, a, a good moment, and then you, it's easier to forgive. But either way, how, no matter how they respond to you, the state, next stage is to seek to forgive. I love the way that Philip Yancey describes forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is giving up the right to get even. Giving up the right to get even. So what we're doing is we're letting go of our desire to get back at them, to get justice, for them to get what they deserve, or get what's coming for them, or for them to get a taste of their own medicine. You know, all those get, get, gets. And really, we're letting go of that desire. I think this is so important in our world today. We live in a world that is like that unmerciful servant grabbing others by the throat and demanding payment, demanding justice, demanding this, demanding that. And I wonder what the role of forgiveness is. I don't know how the rest of the world handles it, but you know, when we've been forgiven, we're supposed to forgive the way that God forgives us, and that's completely. You know, this Memorial Day weekend, uh, we remember those who gave their lives, and there are a lot of great stories of forgiveness. And every person who served in the military has been in battle, has been in war. Those who've survived always come back, and they have to work on this whole forgiveness thing. And many of them are able to do that. And as they move through life, it takes several years, but they get to forgiveness. And it's so important to work through that. And I was also uh, reflecting back on a story about Clara Barton. Does anybody know who Clara Barton is? 
Claire Barton is the founder of the Red Cross. She began the Red Cross out of the Civil War. She was in Washington, D.C. during a battle, and there were 40 wounded that were brought uh, into some homes, and then she cared for those 40 soldiers who had been wounded and and some of them uh, killed in battle, and she was a nurse to them. And that's kind of how the Red Cross got started through her. She was the founder of the Red Cross. And there was a, another nurse that was working alongside of her one day and came to her and, was, and, and remembered a moment they had had together previously. And she was saying, do you remember that time that that person treated you so cruelly? Do you remember that moment? I remember that. I was there. I watched how cruel and mean they were to you. And Clara Barton said, I don't, I don't remember that. She said, how could you forget that? That that, that person was so mean. How could you forget that moment? And Claire Barton said, I I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. And she was kind of puzzled. Her friend was puzzled by this. Like, how could you not remember? She says, I don't really remember it, but I do distinctly remember forgetting it. I do distinctly remember forgiving it. You see, she didn't carry it around anymore, and that's what was so strange to her friend, because she sought forgiveness. And then the next stage, see, and that's part of it, we can decide to forgive. We can choose to forgive. Just like we choose to love and decide to love others, we talked about that last week, we can do that in forgiveness. Stage three is actually, when, once we've forgiven a person, once we start to let go of that desire, we can begin to repair the relationship. This is when relationship repair goes on. Now, here's the point where if this person is going to continue to do harm and continue to hurt, that may be a person I don't want to stay in relationship with us. But if this person is an important relationship to you, then this is where relational repair gets done. So you forgive, and then you work on repairing their relationship, rebuilding trust, and, and moving on. And it, it becomes easier if they're, they actually are, like, I'm, are apologetic and can move on in the relationship. But anyway, we're, we're to not only seek to forgive, we then begin to repair this relationship. And I think this actually takes uh, time. It takes time to do it. Again, this is why this is a stage. You know, my daughters were learning to drive a car. Um, dad, who got it, honestly, my grandfather was a mechanic. I, my dad was a mechanic. I learned to work on my cars. So I, my daughters came time for them to learn how to drive. And I said, oh, we're going to teach you how to do more than drive. Because if your car breaks down, what are you going to do? So dad took them out, had them, showed them how to open up the hood of the car, how to check all the fluids in the car, what they needed to be, all this, so he'd do all this dad stuff. And then I opened up, I had them open up the trunk and find the spare tire and find the, uh, the twirly thing, you know, that, uh, you know, <laughs> that's what they called it, the twirly thing. And, uh, so we get it out, and I showed them how to jack the car up, get the jack out, put it on the car, and I actually had them do it. I, I just said, here's what you're going to do. They jacked up the car, and I showed them how to use leverage on the lug nuts and help them, you know, be, you know get the right leverage and jump up and down on if they need to, and all these things, like tricks of the trade to get the, the wheel off, and they changed the tire on the car because they needed to know how to repair that car. They needed to know that when that car breaks down, they needed to stop the car, and very important, stop the car. Folks, if you get a flat tire, <laughs> let me just say this, a little, little mechanic moment here. Don't keep driving the car. <laughs> if it's got run flat tires, that's fine. But if it doesn't, stop the car. I won't tell you the stories. All right, so, so you stop the car and you get out. You turn the engine off, you get out. 
you jack up the car, and you fix the car. You spend time repairing the car so that you can drive it again. Because if you don't, you can't drive it again. It's the same with relationships. Even if you've forgiven, you still have to stop the car. You have to get out of the car. You have to spend some time looking at what the issue is and repairing the relationship, taking the time to repair the relationship so that you can drive it again, so you can be back in relationship again, so that you can keep moving forward in that relationship and have a good relationship with that person. So you have to seek to repair There's a lot of repair work that needs to go on in our relationships. And I would say the more important the relationship is to you, the more important it is to make time to make the repairs. So if it's a family relationship, spousal relationship, brother-sister relationship, family relationship, son-daughter relationship, those important relationships, take the time to repair them. Good friends, extended friends, community. I also want to stop here. Notice that Jesus, when Jesus tells this parable, and the verses, he outlines steps in the, in, the, in the verses before in 15 to 20, Jesus assumes community here. I, I just think we need to point that out. So Jesus is saying this works when we're in community together. The problem today is we are so highly individualistic. We're individuals and we get all hung up on individual rights and individual perspectives and individual, my, my way is the highway, I'm right, they're wrong. And so this individualism takes over. And if you look at other cultures where there's more a sense of community, Jesus is actually speaking out of a culture of community, not out of a culture of individualism. And so I think that's important because this works a lot better in community when we see each other as, as brothers and sisters, right, as family, this works better. Because when it's just all about me, this gets harder. Because then I'm demanding my own rights. So keep that in mind, that this is a community. And this, builds, this is about repairing relationship and being in community and establishing community with others. And then if we do that repair work, here's the good news. Stage four, we are then free to love again. We're free to love again. Have you noticed how anger and resentment and frustration and hurt and pain, have you noticed how that just kind of blinds you to seeing the other person as a human being? Have you noticed that? And see, when we seek to forgive and repair the relationship, we're actually taking that away. We're taking away that blindness, and we're beginning to see that person as a person again. We're beginning to see them someone who's worthy of being loved again. We're beginning to see them as God sees them again, of worth and value. And so we begin to love again, and we're able to love them again because we want to. And I think, you know, I think the moment you know that you've worked through this, all stages of forgiveness is the moment you want to do something nice for this other person that hurt you. When you want to do something for them, when you want to act lovingly towards them, and you're doing it out of goodwill and a desire to do so, I think that's the moment you can say to yourself, hey, I think I've forgiven them <laughs> because I've got to this point where I now want good for them. I'm able to love them again. I'm able to seek to love them again, which takes us all the way back to last week, which if you were here last week, the teaching was on what? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And so that gets us right back to where Jesus has called us to be as people. You know, I think about this, and I was thinking about what is a, 
what does this look like in real life? And that is, I remember back to something, uh, we've had a lot of school shootings in our days. Started with Columbine, and there's just been, seems like there's just been one after another, after another, after another, and more problems, and it's not being solved, and everybody's got a solution, (laughs) even pastors. I would say to you that one of the great examples of a response that I think reflects Jesus is when the West Nichols Mines Amish school shooting happened in 2006. 2006, a gunman went into an all-girls Amish school and opened fire. Eight girls were shot. Five of them were killed. Then the gunman killed himself. The parents, here's here's the thing, the parents of those girls went to the home of the parents of the shooter and immediately sought to forgive him. That was their first response. Their, their first response was not to get justice. Their first response was to seek forgiveness. I, I don't think they were there. I, I don't think that in that moment that they went to the house of the parents that they were like ready to forgive. I, I have to imagine that they were trying to live as Jesus taught them to live. That their first step was to seek to forgive And those parents also showed up at the funeral of the killer, the shooter. They went to his funeral because they knew that they needed to seek forgiveness. They knew that they needed to work through forgiveness. And so their first step was to seek to forgive. And it's interesting that out of that response, something amazing actually happened out of the tragedy. And that actually, they ended up tearing that school down. They tore the school down, they they erased it, and with the funds that their community received, they built a new school called New Hope School. And I think that's what forgiveness gives us, new hope, opportunity to rebuild, opportunity to move forward. Because if we just hold on to that list and hold on to that record, (laughs) love keeps no record of wrongs, we'll never get to move forward. Let's pray together.